This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Claire Bonnyman. And I'm Mindariwal. And welcome to The Loop. This week on The Loop, we're visiting Edmonton's Chinatown to break down what was a very hard week for many. Definitely. Uh, two men were attacked and killed last week in that community. In the days since then, the city has rallied around residents there calling for increased support when it comes to policing and safety. And Mitt, I, I want to ask you, because you've been here a, a lot longer than me, right. it's fair to say. <laughs> Tell me some of the history of Edmonton's Chinatown that you recall. You know, I mean, it's thinking about it now, I've been going there for, you know, better part of half my life. Yeah. And not even realizing it, right? Because, uh, I mean, the, my first stop there was because of the Italian, the Italian bakery. Many mm. people will uh, know that place. I mean, it, it has since burned down. They're rebuilding it now. But, I mean, it was a, a staple there, right, in the heart of Chinatown, which is kind of ironic. I, I don't even know why they chose that place. Or maybe they were there and Chinatown got built around them. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, used to go there lots and then started slowly branching out to other stores, whether it was the grocery store, Lucky 97, or the yeah. Hong Kong Bakery. Yeah. Or down the street, Taipan was a popular spot for so many years. Uh, you know, my family and I would go there and eat Chinese food. And uh, I, it might even be Vietnamese food. So, uh, I mean, it was uh, it's, it's a great spot. There's so many places uh, to go and visit there. Yeah. A long, long history and connections to that community. So, yeah. so today on the show, you know, we're hoping to add a little bit more context to this conversation mm-hmm. about a core neighborhood and, and the call for change that's coming from its community. Yeah, to uh, to lay out the facts here, May 18, two men were attacked and killed in Edmonton's Chinatown. Ban Fu Kuang and Hung Trang were both in their 60s. Trang was found injured outside Albert's Auto Body on 98th Street. He had been employed there for decades. He died in hospital the next day from his injuries. Huang died at the second scene, Universal Electronics and Video Incorporated, just down the street. A 36-year-old man was arrested at the second scene and has been charged with two counts of second-degree murder. Police said neither victim knew the man. And these killings have set in motion a conversation that made its way to City Hall this week. Wallace Snowden is a reporter with CBC Edmonton, and she was in the council chambers on Tuesday when this community made their voices heard. Hey, Wallace. Hi. So what was it like in council chambers? It it was an emotional day for Mm -hmm. sure. I mean, we're talking hundreds of people filed into council chambers. And from what I understand, that's it's the largest crowd they've seen there in recent memory. Wow. Um, it was standing room only. You know, even that upper balcony was filled with people um, from Chinatown. We're talking residents, business owners, and relatives of those two men who were killed. And so it was clear from the beginning that this was not going to be a typical meeting and that the planned agenda for that day would likely need to be set aside for a conversation about, you know, violence and disorder in the Edmonton neighborhood, including those two recent homicides. Yeah, because Chinatown wasn't even on the agenda to start with, right? That's right. I mean, the city council had convened, you know, on Tuesday morning to discuss several agenda items, as they usually would. On that list was its safety, uh, community and well-being strategy and the policing budget, so the budgeting formula. But Residents concerned about crime in in Chinatown took that agenda item as an opportunity to say their piece and showed up in force, essentially, at council chambers. And so there was some debate about the precedent it would set. Mm -hmm. Uh, Council would not normally hear from any member of the public at a regular meeting like that. But they did vote to 
you know, essentially break with protocol and hear from this flood of public speakers on their safety concerns. Um, And those conversations about budgeting and funding formulas took a back seat for the most part. We had about 25 speakers registered to speak. Um, So this council meeting, uh, you know, dragged on all through the afternoon and, and pretty much well into the evening before it wrapped up. And it was just really a conversation about Chinatown. Well, and I think it's it's fair to say there's a lot going on downtown and, and Chinatown has been part of many of these conversations. So uh, what was this? What was the community asking council for? As you mentioned, this is an ongoing conversation and it's these are difficult issues to unpack. But the inner city neighborhood has been pleading for help for years to deal with crime, disorder, drug use in the area. The neighborhood has a high concentration of social services like safe injection sites and people experiencing homelessness. Drug use is rampant. Vandalism, arson, litter, all of these things have been chronic issues in Chinatown. And many residents say the neighborhood has only become more dangerous during COVID-19. Many in the neighborhood feel like they're being taken advantage of. Some felt like their neighborhood has become a dumping ground for problems in the downtown And this issue goes way back. This is not a new problem. You know, out of frustration with the police response or that perceived lack of police response, Mm -hmm. the neighborhood began paying for its own security guards about two years ago. So businesses in the area actually pay out of pocket for these patrolling officers. But many say it's not enough. They say their calls for help from the city and Edmonton police have gone unanswered. And there's a feeling here that a warning about the dangers in the neighborhood went unheeded. Yeah. So so Tuesday, did they get any response or did you see any emotional reaction even from council? There there was a strong response from the council table. I think they were very empathetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Councillor Rice became visibly emotional at the beginning of the meeting and said it was important that the city essentially take pause and hear from Chinatown and acknowledge the impacts that these homicides have had on the community. And Mayor Sohi acknowledged that trauma and offered his condolences to the family. And in the end, after that big discussion, the community was given some assistance. Around $300,000 was earmarked, set aside to help address those immediate security needs from the community. And on the policing side of things, Edmonton Police Chief Dale McPhee Um, made some comments last week about the homicides. And he said a string of recent crimes in the core had prompted a sort of sudden change in strategy. He said a few core neighborhoods are contending with this increase in crime. And there was a sense of urgency here. He said that patrols would need to be stepped up right away. He said officers would be pulled in from other areas, other departments to staff those neighborhoods. And that includes the downtown core, Alberta Avenue, and of course, Chinatown. And he said those patrols would be starting right away this week. Mm. I, I mean, for this community, for these folks who spoke up to city council, is this enough? Do they seem happy with this response? You know, I don't want to speak on behalf of of the entire community, of course, but there is a sense that what is being offered uh, is a temporary solution to some really deep-seated problems in this community. Um, The funding from city council may help deal with those security issues for now, you know, security patrols. 
but, you know, Mayor So he did acknowledge that this is a long term conversation. He says there needs to be a more comprehensive approach to dealing with the issues in Chinatown. Um, that includes enforcement to deal with the crime, but also collaboration with social agencies. He says whatever strategies adopted needs to acknowledge the complex needs of the area, you know, the mental health issues, addictions and the city's housing crisis. So this does feel like the beginning of a long conversation with the safety and the very viability of the neighborhood at stake. You know, in speaking with the business association there, uh, what they've heard from businesses in the area is that they're actually afraid to open their doors. You know, some are closing their doors early and many others are considering vacating the neighborhood for good if things don't change. And that certainly was a common theme among the speakers, you know, business people that go to work every day, but they're afraid to you know, bring their children to work with them, Um, you know, spouses that don't go to work with their spouses because they're worried about the security risks of that neighborhood. At the heart of of Tuesday, I think, were were these speakers and really the testimony that was put forward to city council. Tell me about who came up to speak. What did you hear? Well, uh, to me, uh, the most striking speakers were Christina Trang and Han Leon. Uh, Han spoke on behalf of the family of Ben Huang, um, who was found beaten inside his electronic shop. Um, And Christina Trang, she's the eldest daughter of Hung Trang, the man who was found beaten at the auto body shop where he'd worked for the past 30 years. And both spoke of the anguish of losing these two men, these strong father figures who were also fixtures in the Chinatown community, who worked hard, stoically to care for their families. And it really was uh, wrenching to hear them speak about these men who were um, just sounded like lovely people. Um, and the message from both of these families was was pretty clear. Um, you know, maybe if things were different in Chinatown, these men would still be alive. We're here today to talk about my dad, one of the victims who were lost on Thursday Um, and he came over to Canada on a boat in 1979 and worked from the time he arrived in Canada to support all the siblings he brought over as well as his parents. Never to think that he would lose his life the way he did to give us a better future. We were going through his photos trying to put the slideshow together for his funeral and his sister showed me a photo and said he would take her to this place in Chinatown every Sunday to get her something and whatever it was that she wanted she would get. That Chinatown is not there anymore for her. My dad's been working at Albert's Auto Body for as long as I can remember. And everybody in that area is a close-knitted community. Um, Everyone knows everyone. And we're always there to help each other, as you can see from the support today. Our family will never be the same again. My mom does not have anyone to go home to anymore. I do not have a dad to call on for anything that I may need in the future. Neither does my sister. My sister's son, his grandson, would never be able to remember him. 
my uncle who works with him is going to walk into work every day in that place. And so is Tony, remembering he's not there anymore as he has been for the last 33 years. This changed our lives completely overnight. He's gone now, but he'll never be forgotten. Maybe if things had been different in Chinatown, my dad could still be with us today. <laughs> he had planned to retire at the end of the year so he could spend more time with my mom. People feel unsafe walking on the streets in Chinatown. And I have heard this from several people, or even friends of mine who are even afraid to bring their chi ch children to Chinatown because of how scary things are. How this happened to my dad could have prevented. Had it not been the different businesses in Chinatown paying out of their own pockets for the private security team that they had. The offender could still be walking around the streets and more victims' lives could be taken. How do you guys feel the situation in Chinatown currently is acceptable? When was the last time one of you guys stepped foot into that place? It's completely destroyed my confidence and many others the city is looking after its communities and its citizens. It is clear of this when the community had to hire their own security patrol in Chinatown and pay out of their own pocket. I'm here today to honor the memory of my dad and if there's one thing he would hope for now is that his death can open up everyone's eyes to see how out of control things are there. How his senseless and tragic death can only change, can not only change my family forever, it also impacts the entire Chinatown community as a whole, and something needs to be done. We all need to care for Chinatown here. You know, there were more than a dozen statements made uh, at city council, and I think they covered every single emotion. Um, yeah. You know, sadness, fear, worry, anger. Um, and this conversation is playing out in, in a really complicated moment in the city. <laughs> but this week, it came down to a very simple statement. Um, a community that is underserved yeah. um, asking for support. Uh, Han Leong was at City Hall to speak on behalf of the family of Ban Fu Kuang. Huang was 61 years old when he was attacked by the same man and died on the 18th. Leong has been an active member of Edmonton's Chinatown for years and called for change in front of city council. Ben Huang would have celebrated his 58th birthday two days after his life was taken. It's a remarkable story. In an article in the Edmonton Journal on November 4th, 1992, he said, On May 20th, 1980, we were sent to a refugee camp from which we could apply to be admitted to another country. You can't believe our feelings. It became the first day of the rest of my life, so I decided to call my birthday. Ben died near the day of his exaltation. Ben Huang was actually born on June 3, 1964 in Hanoi, Vietnam. At age 17, Ben arrived in Canada through a refugee camp in Macau. There are stories about how Ben would wrap newspapers around his feet or wear garbage bags in minus 40 weather to get to work. 
Living with an uncle, Ben lied about his age so that he could work and send money back to his family. There are so many endearing stories of Uncle Ben. I was contacted by a woman in Maui that remembers Uncle Ben staying with them, and he would chase down ice cream trucks to buy neighborhood kids popsicles and ice cream. His sister Anne said the same thing when she cleaned out his retail store last weekend. Why is society so unfair? It is so unfair. We sat here talking together and drinking tea. Now there's nobody to talk to. Ben is survived by his daughter, Ajo, and his loyal wife, Asan. His wife told me she didn't go into Chinatown the past two months, and she blames herself for not being there with him. It was too dangerous. We couldn't find anybody to work in Chinatown. Maybe if I was there, he would still be alive. That's ridiculous. Ben was a prominent business leader in Chinatown. He brought karaoke to Western Canada. He's a big reason why we can enjoy karaoke. Ben knew everyone, and everyone loved Ben. Not having him around is an incomprehensible loss. I still get text messages asking me if it's really him. His death is tragic, and we cannot forget him. Aside from being a successful businessman, Ben had a deep love and dedication to his family. He sponsored his parents and two brothers and two sisters to move to Canada. Everyone knows Uncle Ben. Now everyone knows he's gone. One of the most painful stories I heard was how he'd always make dinner for his wife and daughter. I relate to that. He loved to cook, especially for his family. Who is going to make dinner for them now? Do you understand that kind of emptiness? When I arrived at the store last weekend, we talked about finding a bowl of unwashed rice. I guess Mr. Huang was getting ready to make rice to bring home for dinner when he was viciously attacked. Can you believe that? One second you're thinking about bringing rice to home to your family, and the next second your life is over. What a great man, but what a terrible way to die. When can we have an honest discussion about respect for lives and livelihoods? What will the city look like as workers come back into the core? Will they come back? Will there be businesses or employees left after COVID to serve our workers? Will people want to work downtown at all and take the train while people bleed out on the seat beside them? We talk about rebuilding our country, and how can we do that? What kind of recovery can you have when we cannot keep our street services and businesses safe? Tonight, I commit to making some rice. I commit to washing it with care and dedication. After that, I'm going to boil some water. And when the water's boiling, I will think about how I miss my wife who works in downtown. I will prepare her tea, stir fry the drumsticks, and wait for her to come home. And I hope she comes home safe. If my message has been unclear and you didn't hear, or maybe it fell on deaf ears, then look out into this room and look into these people's eyes and you will know. Look into my eyes and you will know. Thank you. Thank you so much for speaking on behalf of the family. It can be really hard to see past the headlines and the breaking news alerts to remember the heart of the community. And Chinatown has, you know, like you said, man, a really mm-hmm. long, rich history in our city. Yeah. Lately, it has been the site of so many hard news stories and that, you know, it, it's really important, I think, to try and remember what built this really thriving community um, in the interest of total transparency. We had a very different plan for this week's show. Right. Initially, we were going to do a story about health and nutrition, and we're still going to talk about it, just not yet. Um, But after this week, it became clear that what's happening in Edmonton's Chinatown is a big conversation. And I mean, conveniently, we were doing a story about diversity and health. Yeah. Um, And we'd actually kind of, we'd sent you out to talk to someone. Right. 
But after this week, it became clear that what's happening in Edmonton's Chinatown is a big conversation. And I mean, coincidentally, right. we were actually sending you to Chinatown to speak to a health store um, and learn about kind of diversity in medicine. Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, I was going to. And I was down there and I, yeah. and I headed down there. So, yeah, initially I was going to go to Lucky 97 to find out more about traditional health methods. And uh, I'm not sure if you've ever been inside there. It is amazing, the collection of produce they have and some of the items they have. They're very eclectic. A lot of that stuff I don't think you'll find anywhere else. Yeah. It's kind of unique to, to, to that area and, and that grocery store. So uh, I was pulled over just uh, before the grocery store, um, you know, literally just down from the Hong Kong bakery across from the old Italian Classic. the Italian bakery. And uh, you gotta you have to visit uh, the Hong Kong bakery. I, oh, I am a, I'm a uh, pork bun fiend. Oh, man. And they have so many varieties of different oh, buns. It's, it's mind-blowing. Love me a bun. So anyway, <laughs> I'm stopped there, and uh, I think I was uh, checking something out on, on Google, and I noticed uh, the store that was right beside me. It was, it was called, it's called Chan Fat Chinese Herbal Store. And uh, I, I mean, I know it's been there. I kind of have seen it over the years, never really mm-hmm. gone in. So um, I thought, like, okay. I, uh, I'll have to go check this place out. And, um, you know, uh, that's what I did. Well, and, and I think it's, it's really important because Chinatown is full of these businesses, Tons. right? They've been there yep. for years. You pass them all the times. You recognize the names. And, and sometimes you don't always go in. Right. And I think this is one of the asks from the community that actually spoke out at City Hall this week. You know, visit Chinatown. Shop yeah. at these businesses. Come meet the members of our community. Support them. Totally. Um, join us. Learn about it. Yeah. And um, uh, f- for sure. I mean, more foot traffic can can mean more safety. People yeah. will feel comfortable seeing other people around. I mean, that that all leads to that. Right. And and there is really so much to explore. And, if, you know, especially if you're on foot. So uh, I went in to check out Chan Fat and spoke with Karen New. Uh, she's the owner. Her father opened up the store in 1994 and it's been there ever since. Smashing uh, one of the herbs so into like finer pieces when we make combination of teas. Hello, my name is Karen. I uh, run a family business in Chinatown for almost uh, 30 years now. Uh, we started our business uh, back in 1994 in, in Chinatown, in Chinatown area. I learned a lot of stuff from my uh, my father. Um, he was a herbalist, so. We have a lot of selections of teas in our store. I basically carry a lot of dry herbs, uh, Chinese herbal medicines or, or remedies. So we carry a variety of green teas, oolong teas, jasmine teas, goji berries. That would be the most popular ones. People use it for tea, for soup, for smoothie. Uh, yeah, people come in with a different questions and, and, and concerns or requests. So I'm just here to provide them with the basic knowledge that I know that I hopefully I could help them. Yeah, this is umber. Probably would know about umber. It smells very nice. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean there's so many different kinds of things here. I guess that speaks to I, uh, the culture, right? I mean, this is something that has been going on for thousands of years, yes. right? Is that yes. maybe speak a bit to that and how how that works and and why people come in here? Yes, this ginger's uh, variety of ginger products that I have here as a snack form, 
So, uh, like the fresh ginger root, people use it for tea, for soup, for 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 cooking. As the one I have here right now in my shelf here, they're for snacks. So, let's say if you have a long trip uh, and you have like some like some things to munch on to keep you awake, and you could have those. Or people may have a little bit of bloatingness after they have food, and they could uh, have some of this. Uh, Ginger, like we call it a sweet ginger, ginger candy, or ginger treats. So that's ginger. It's good for digestion. So yeah, I do have dry ginger as well for for teas too. Yeah. So would you have customers that that you know maybe if they are suffering from something like say bloating or maybe their joints hurt uh, or they have some arthritis instead of going to a Western medicine or Western doctor do you do they come in here with a prescription from a herbalist and then you make something up for them is that kind of how it works Yes, that's how it works. Yes, I would uh, ask them if they have the prescription from the say a herbalist uh, and then uh, I just make up the herbs for them based on the uh, the, uh, the formula. I mean, there's so much product in here. Just even yeah. to look at it, it looks kind of overwhelming, really. Okay. I, this is one of the... Um, this is called gecko, dried okay. gecko. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the actual animal. Yes. So it's... Uh, yeah, we make tea for out of this. So. so what would this help do? Or is this kind of like a unique kind of flavor or something that somebody would, you know, um, would seek out? Because that's like an actual gecko that's uh, been, I'm guessing, gutted and just kind of dried on on stick. Yes, dried on bamboo. So uh, this one, oh, uh, wow, my older people, uh, like grandparents uh, age, they would use it for, say, arthritis issues. Yeah. And they have many other remedies to mix with it, too, for different illness, too ailments too. So what else would you mix with that and, and what properties are in the gecko that maybe kind of help alleviate that uh, problem? I don't know if you can get into that detail but... Uh, probably just a special specialty of the gecko. Okay. So it helps the, the body say uh, joint problems okay. uh, muscle issue problems or inflammation of the joints, arthritis. And where do you get <laughs> dried out gecko on bamboo like that? We order. I order this from my suppliers. So yeah, uh, it's it's mostly from 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 our suppliers. That's that's certainly interesting and unique, right? <laughs> and so, do you get people like walking on the street, or do you, how does the process work for you to be able to take herbs and crush them and, and to produce something for somebody? Like you were talking earlier, you know, you you need a prescription from a herbalist or from people like that, or do you just do people that kind of walk in on the street and they say they're looking for something that uh, you know can stop them from bloating or they have you know, sore shoulder or something. They would just come in and tell me whatever they're they're based on my experience, and I would uh, think of something that could help them. Uh, a lot of them are uh, uh, referral from the friends and families. Yeah, so they have com- confidence to uh, to try. So, for instance, for in in my family, uh, you know, at, at my house, if if the kids have a headache or I have a headache, we 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 have an Advil, or you know, we'll we'll pop one of those. Would you have something equivalent here that some some people would try instead of uh, something over the counter from a drugstore? If it's for quick headaches or stuff like that, people would just take like I myself. If I have a headache, I would just take a Tylenol just for quick fix. But if it's for something that occur uh, chronically, so they would uh, I would just have a conversation with them and then find out what causes the headaches. Say women, for example, women would have like menstrual cycle problems uh, that could cause headaches. 
or uh, you know migraine headaches and stuff like that too. So it's a, it's a different. So there's remedies that you can make up with different yes. herbs and stuff. Yes. And what would that so so for instance for migraines what what type of things would go into something to to help with that and would you would it be like in a tea format or how would it be mixed of uh, dry herbs form so I would look at men and different men and men and women differently and depends on the age too so I would uh, uh, based on that individual like who they are and what kind of migraines they have I don't normally use the same herb but uh, it, it depends. I would take the bigger piece and a smaller piece too. People normally would burn this as an incense. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, for relaxing, for meditation. So they would actually burn this? Yes, for myrrh like frankincense. Okay. Yeah, you can smell it too, very nice. Oh yeah, it's fragrant. Yeah. 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 Hmm. But when you burn it, it says, uh, it's myrrh. Yeah, M-Y-R-R-H, okay. It's myrrh raisin, yeah. And remember myrrh, frankincense and gold? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, this is uh, herb. Okay. I would, uh, yeah, my work is uh, clean up the herbs mm-hmm. and uh, before I pack them, put it on the shelf. So I like my package nice and clean, yeah. sift, so no dust, no debris in yeah. it, and yeah, so it, that looks nice. The Loop is a weekly podcast from CBC Edmonton, and our team is Min Darwal, Leslie Goldstone, Corey Haberstock, Olivia O, oh, and James Evans. Our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John Common. And I'm Claire Bonnyman. Thank you so much for listening. Yes, thanks for listening as always. And you can get into The Loop with us every Friday. If you have a story or want to get in touch with us, send us an email, theloop at cbc.ca. Use the hashtag TheLoopCBC on social media or reach out to us via Twitter. I'm at Mindariwal and Claire. At Naminab. That's backwards in case you're new to that That's Bonnyman backwards, not Claire backwards. That's right. (laughs) And of course, follow the show on CBC Listen or your favorite podcasting app. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.